there's a couple different ways to talk about who Woodrow Wilson was. I clearly started with the fact that he was racist, which is right now the way that a lot of people are talking about him. There's a whole fight going on at Princeton about whether they should rename their public policy school, which is called the Woodrow Wilson School. And the fact is he was personally very racist. And he also, one of his first acts in office was that he segregated the federal government. He made it so that any black people working in the federal government were either fired or put into positions that were below or separate. Um, which is a big deal. Um, Woodrow Wilson also had this conception of the presidency. He said he wanted it to be more like being the prime minister, by which he meant he wanted to like have a lot more control over what was happening in Congress. And he would go and give speeches in Congress all the time and kind of try to shape their legislation. Um, and he's the one who popularized that kind of conception of the presidency. Um, he's also known as being a very idealistic person, in part because he was this kind of, he was a professor. Um, and his form of idealism was about the idea that like foreign policy should be driven by our morals and our principles. And for him, the problem that he saw in the world was that nations were not being allowed to determine their own future. Um, and while he was president, he's elected in 1912. Um, world War I starts in 1914, two years in. And as evidenced by the fact that the U.S. didn't have an army when we decided we wanted to take over a bunch of other countries, um, our foreign policy in general, since really since Washington said, stay out of European conflicts. Remember, don't get involved with political parties and stay out of European conflicts. The United States has done a lot of wars. We've talked about the War of 1812, the Civil War, the Mexican War, the Spanish-American War, all of the Native American genocide wars, um, all of the Latin American takeover conflicts. But the idea that the United States would get involved in wars in Europe seemed like a very big step that Americans didn't want to do. This idea was, we're going to stay in our hemisphere, and that stuff that goes on over there will go on over there. But that's just those kind of wars of colonial domination carried out with superior military force, particularly superior technological force, and carried out under this ideology of the white man's burden, the idea that white people have this mission to control the whole world and to civilize uncivilized cultures. That sort of justification fits in quite well with the culture of the United States that's obsessed with the frontier and manhood and accepts without much question the idea that black people are inferior. That's very different than saying the United States should get involved in World War I, which Europeans are very excited to get involved in World War I, um, partly because they've been having these imperial conflicts all over the world, and now this is a chance to finally have a showdown. Um, and also because this like culture of militarism and manhood has like reached this point where there are people who are just can't wait, you know, a whole generation of Teddy Roosevelt's in Germany and England and France see this as their opportunity to prove their greatness. And it doesn't take long to see that this is actually a horrific thing and that the technology of machine guns, trenches, mustard gas, 
chemical warfare, huge guns, and the years and years of building up a huge army has turned this into a conflict that no one would be excited to join. In the United States, by um, being far away, has some time to kind of think about it. And Wilson puts himself out there as someone who's against um, getting involved in the war. Now, for the most part, the sympathies of the country are with Britain and France and not with Germany. Um, and we can go into all the reasons why that is. But it makes it so that Germans are suspicious. And there's this whole sense that Germany, which is controlled by an emperor, the Kaiser, is a sort of tyrannical power. And so those sympathies are there, but, but most Americans oppose getting involved in the war. And um, Wilson runs for re-election in 1916 under the slogan, he kept us out of war. But then, after being re-elected, um, the Germans basically see the United States as like an ally of Britain and France who have all these factories that can produce all sorts of weapons and can ship them over to help. And the U.S. has said that we're not shipping weapons over, but secretly we are putting them into like transatlantic liners and sending them back and forth. And eventually Germany starts using a new technology that they have, submarines or unterseeboots or U-boats to uh, sink these ships that are arming their enemies. And one of the ships that they sink is the Lusitania, which is a big passenger liner that was also secretly filled with weapons that were going to be brought to the other side. But just like with the Maine, the sinking of a seemingly innocent ship changes public opinion in a pretty major way for war. And Wilson, less than a year after being reelected under the slogan, he kept us out of war, goes to Congress and makes a speech pushing for uh, the U.S. to declare war and to join the war. Is that actually what he wants? Or he's like, ugh, now the people want this because they saw this boat sink. It's a good question. I, I think... I don't totally know how to answer it. I think there's a part of Wilson that certainly is pacifist and wants to stay out of things, but his idealism, he talks about democracy in this certain way, and he also loves the idea that the United States can be at the center of leading the world, right? The war, this is the idea that this is the war to end all wars. He becomes obsessed with the idea that these European countries are, you know, ripping each other to smithereens, and the only country that can really come in and explain how they went wrong and help them build a new world where this won't happen anymore is the United States, specifically Professor Woodrow Wilson of Princeton, the boy genius, you know? So when the war kind of suddenly, so the Americans really, and the Americans really do help break the stalemate. We don't send that many people over, and, and the, the number of casualties for the U.S. is the largest that we've had since the Civil War and is horrific for Americans who go. But the Europeans have been fighting it from 1914 to 1917 without the Americans there. And the, the interference of the Americans along with a number of smaller 
military developments leads to the German surrender and a kind of surprising surrender that, that many people, including a young guy named Adolf Hitler, feel must be part of some sort of conspiracy because it seemed like it was actually pretty close and then suddenly Germany steps down. Um, but I think the assumption from the Germans was they were probably going to lose in the long run and they would get a good deal and probably a merciful deal um, at the Treaty of Versailles where they were going to sign this accord. Okay, Wilson shows up at the Treaty of Versailles, and he has this, like, incredible feeling. He thinks he's going to, like, make the most incredible deal in the history of mankind. He really does. Um, and Europeans also love him. He shows up, and they're so... Dist- I mean, World War I is, like, the most psychologically upsetting thing in European history. I, I, World War II is is like worse in some ways in terms of devastation, although for some countries like France, the t- casualties are even higher. But it's like World War I is like the shattering of your psyche. It's like the first time you fall out of love with someone, you know, when you're like, oh my God, this can happen. That's how World War I feels for Europeans. Oh my God, we can have, I mean, these countries turn into totalitarian machines where like every single part of the country has to be mobilized for total war and the press is highly controlled and this includes the United States where the Sedition Act is passed under Wilson which basically allows people who question the government to be put into jail and also in the middle of World War One, the communist revolution happens uh, in Russia and Russia who had sided um, with the allies just drops out um, and that makes there be a huge fear that there's going to be a communist revolution everywhere else, including in the United States. And so there's under Wilson, the Palmer raids, which are just basically the police and the future FBI, um, going into communist organizations and arresting people basically for being communists, um, and charging them under things like the Sedition Act. And there are a series of Supreme Court cases that try to find the line between when the government actually can arrest you for your political beliefs or not. And early on, they seem to let a lot of stuff stand, and eventually they kind of draw a line. Um, That being said, compared to these European governments, Wilson is seen as far more peaceful and far more idealistic. And he walks in with a plan for what he thinks is going to be called the League of Nations. And the League of Nations sounds like a superhero. And the idea of the League of Nations is simple. Every group of people who want to have their own country will get to have their own country. And then it will be illegal for anyone to invade anyone ever. If anyone invades anyone ever again, every other country on earth will team up against them. And that's the idea. (laughs) It's... A terrible idea, but it's an incredible idea, right? It's extremely, and for people who've just gone through the most terrible war in the history of the world, which, no question, it's the most terrible, it's the most terrible war at this point in the history of the world. That's why it was called the Great War, and later, the World War. Why is it a terrible idea? Because people are going to, when one country invades another country, some people are going to side with them, you know? And there are going to be disputes um, that are not as clear-cut as just the person who invaded did the wrong thing. It doesn't make it a... Yeah. It's an Im- impractical idea. Just think about how exciting it is for a guy to show up at the treaty thing with a plan where he's like, guys, 
I have a plan, so there will never be war again. And nobody's ever tried that before. People believe it. Some people believe it. That is not what Germany thinks is going to happen. Okay, more importantly, that is not what Britain or France are in the mood for, at least not their governments. They're in the mood to say, we are going to punish Germany for starting this war. And we are going to punish them severely. We are going to take some of their land. We're going to redraw the lines in a way that benefits us and that prevents them from gaining power again. We're going to split Austria and Hungary into two different countries. We're going to make Germany pay us back money for all of the money spent in the war. We're going to tell Germany they can never have an army again. Right? That is a very different plan coming in some ways from an instinct that's also about preventing another world war. But the two different versions of the story are, one is like, the problem is Germany. And Wilson's is much more like, the problem is the structure of the international system. Um, and ultimately, Wilson succeeds in creating uh, a League of Nations and getting that written into the treaty. But France and Britain succeed in getting all of the punishments put on Germany. But not every nation in the world is at the Treaty of Versailles, so it's not... No, but so the League of Nations is opened up to everybody to join. Okay. And, and, it's, and these major players have signed on to it. Well, they all sign on to it, except um, the country that is most resistant to joining uh, the League of Nations is the United States of America. Because Wilson comes back and says, you guys, I made the most incredible deal. And Congress says, wait, so that would overrule us if we wanted to declare war? And Wilson says, yes, well, technically. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. And Wilson is crushed by this. He thought of all the countries, the United States would understand why this is important. But there's still a group of people who are upset that we went into the war in the first place. Um, and there's just a sense also that the United States is now has this moment to become so powerful. Why would we hand over our power to this new organization that we wouldn't have total control over? Wilson goes around the country and gives and decides what he'll do is he'll give speeches in people's home districts to try to convince the people. And if he, th he thinks if he can convince the people to like call their congressmen and get them to change their vote, then this treaty, then this League of Nations can be saved. Um, and he, it's a really intense tour. He like goes like state by state and tries to convince them. And he's exhausted. And in the middle of it, he has a severe stroke and um, is basically incapacitated. We don't really know because as soon as he has the stroke, he's like whisked away to the White House. And his wife, Wilson also uh, ha gets married while in the White House. Um, uh, his first wife gets sick and dies. Um, I actually think his first wife dies in the flu of 1918, which is the biggest pandemic in the history of the world that also happens under Woodrow Wilson, where millions of people just drop dead because we don't yet have anything to stop the flu. Um, but maybe she just died. Maybe that might be, that's just too dramatic. But she, she dies. And then he marries another woman like nine months later. And Wilson, who's had this stroke, is in his bedroom in the White House and no one's allowed to see him except his wife. 
That's what she says. And she keeps coming out and telling them different orders that Wilson is giving. And people say, like, can we come in and see Wilson? And she says, no. And historians now believe that he was basically incapacitated and unconscious that entire time. And that this woman was running the country. (laughs) That she was really the president of the United States, the first female president, Edith Wilson. The fact is that Wilson doesn't recover. Um, And by the end of his term, he's not able to run um, for re-election. So Wilson's out. And that means the Republicans are back in. 